documented 25 seconds. 20 seconds and counting. T-minus 15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 12, 11, 10, 9. Ignition sequence start. 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. As Apollo 11 does its roll program, this podcast now does its roll program. The tape is rolling. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. My name is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. Thank you for taking time from your life to be here. Today I want to discuss for a couple of minutes uh, the topic of ET, extraterrestrials. Um, last, a couple of days ago we had a um, disclosure panel that was dealing with um, what the government may or may not know. And one of the storylines that people were talking about was the fact that um, everybody that's um, talking about it, whether it's the to the stars people or Lou Elizondo or Reed or the government people and the news media are all going into this idea that um, yes we know this is real the videos are real but when it comes to the question of what is it people are suddenly stopping and they will not use the word alien ET and a lot of the people, I'd say most of the people on the panel, believe that this was absolutely sort of foolish, that this is very evident, and people were trying to figure out why would they avoid the question that this obviously is E.T. Um, in 1975, on the second night that I saw the object as it was flying away, I tell the story. Um, I said to myself, wow, that could be an extraterrestrial from another planet. And at the same time, this sort of message came into my head to say, but what is it? Why is it just flying along? And moreover, it had come directly towards us and then flew into the northeast. Why did it not just fly from the west into the northeast? Why did it come towards us and then make the turn and go in a different direction? It was almost like it was intended that it would come in front of me and then just sort of fly away. It could have if it was actually going somewhere or doing something, it would have not come towards me. It would have flown in a straight line. So anyway, I would agree that, yes, it does seem very evident that if we didn't make it, if they're not Russians, if they're not Chinese, then the obvious thing is, well, it must be from some other planet. I used to believe that. The more I look at it, the more I don't believe that. And it's nothing against people who believe it, or it's just that when you start looking at the evidence, the theory of E.T. starts to dissolve in some ways. Let me give you an example. 1492, just like the E.T., it's very obvious that this is E.T., that this is coming from some other off-world civilization. In 1492, it was very evident that the world was flat. I mean, nobody questioned it. 
it was obvious. It was You could see it with your eyes. It was not until we had people who f went across the ocean, astronauts went up into the sky, people started doing the whole story about the uh, stuff going over the, the horizon and stuff like that. The idea that the world was flat had to take many, many years to gather all the evidence to confirm that, no, the world is not flat, the same as the sun goes around the earth. That is very evident that the sun goes around the earth. We believe that. Nobody questioned it. It was very evident, just like it is evident that ETs are coming here. It was very evident that the sun went around the earth. But the more information we got, the more it appeared, no, the sun does not go around the earth. The earth is going around the sun. And that the earth is spinning. And that we are not the center of the universe, as we believed. Every time we go along, and this was described to me as the wrong blocks, that we've got most of the blocks we have are wrong. We're making a bunch of assumptions that are not correct. We assume it's true because it seems evident. We can see it with our eyes and it's evident that it's true. But the anomalies of UFOs indicate, no, it's not true. Something is wrong with the world view. And so just like the flat earth, the everything being solid, all the kind of uh, ideas that we have now sort of put to the sidelines, I th say the ET is exactly the same thing. That the more you look at the ET thing and look at the evidence behind the ET uh, situation, the more it looks like it's going to end up being like the flat earth or the sun going around the earth or us being at the center of the universe, that it's not what it appears to be. 1975, as I said, I absolutely believe this was ET. And I remember when Jacques Vallée came forward and said, I'd be very surprised if this turns out to be just extraterrestrials coming from another planet. I used to think the guy was nuts. But the more I look at it, the more evidence there is, the more it appears that this is may have an ET component to it, but something something's wrong. It is not straight out ETs coming from other planets. That would seem to be where this thing is heading. One of the best examples to look at this is the idea of the 1890s. There was, some people report, 10,000 sightings in the United States in the 1890s, 1894 to 1898 over the United States of airships. These were blimps. These were wooden ships uh, with propellers, with sails, with giant lights on them. And these things were flying around the United States. And, of course, the people that interacted with the, the people on board these ships asked them, where are you from? And they said, we're from Mars. Now, at that time, people knew nothing about Mars being sort of a vacant planet the way we sort of know it now. They also would have assumed that space goes out, that the air goes out to Mars, that they could have actually taken these wooden ships and flown through space. Now we know you can't, because once you get a couple hundred miles up, there is no atmosphere. It's a vacuum of space, and you can't fly through a vacuum of space with a wooden ship with a propeller on it. But they didn't know that in 1890. So the, the, in, the beings that were interacting with the people in 1890s were telling them this story, which was obviously not true. Now, are they deceiving them? No, they're dealing with people at whatever level of belief they are. So in 1890, people believed that this phenomena was coming from Mars, because everybody could see the canals in Mars, and everybody would, if there was canals, there had to be cities. But it wasn't until later that we suddenly realized that it's not inhabited the way we think it's inhabited. And then, suddenly, you have the, the scenario change. In World War II... People say, what's oh, E.T.? So in World War II, the phenomena that was being reported, my father was a, uh, an Air Force guy, and his boss 
uh, had one of these Foo Fighters on the edge of the plane. It was just a little ball of light that went along the uh, on the edges of the plane. Now, is there actually an ET in there from another planet? Is that what this is? It would be very evident that Foo Fighters are not easily explained as extraterrestrials flying in little tiny balls of light on the edge of planes. This is something else. Then, in after World War II, around the nuclear stuff and the military stuff, you had the green fireball incidents. So it moves from foo, it moves from big airships with propellers on them to Foo Fighters to these little green fireballs that are flying around. Now, are the little green fireballs ETs? We're just assuming that, oh yeah, it's just ET, but you can see that it's changing, that the phenomena is changing as we're moving along. So then once we detonated the hydrogen bomb, and the hydrogen bomb was different than the atomic bomb, that the hydrogen bomb meant we could destroy the world. You couldn't with atomic bombs, but hydrogen bombs is a different situation. So in November of 1952, we detonated the first hydrogen bomb, and here appeared uh, the beings to Adamski in the desert of California. And they said, stop the atomic weapons, and Adamski was asking them, and all the contacts, these are the 1950s, were asking the beings that they were interacting with, where are you from? And the beings were completely different than now. The beings now come into the bedroom. They don't take people for rides on ships and appear as physical human beings that look like us, as they did in the 1950s. They said, we're from the moon. We're from Venus. We're from Mars. But in 1950, we didn't know for sure whether there was civilizations on the moon or Mars or Venus. It wasn't until after we realized that this is probably not true. They're probably not from these different planets because the, there's not a, an environment that would allow human life to exist. So once that happened, then started stuff started to change again. So it appears that the whatever the intelligence is, is changing and adapting to whatever we believe as a worldview. Alpha was the Canadian, the one that the Canadians were dealing with, was an, a being by the name of Alpha. There was Alpha, then there was Tyler. Tyler was the garbage collector. Gar he was the one that was flying around, according to Wilbur Smith, and cleaning up the radioactive contaminants. The message, again, was to clean up the nuclear missile stuff, to stop the nuclear weapons. But Alpha claimed to be from Uranus, which was like 370 degrees below zero. And I remember talking to the metallurgist who worked on the metals that were coming up to Canada from the United States, uh, Art, Art Bridge, and he said to me, he said, let me make this perfectly clear, Grant. At no time did Wilbur or I believe that Alpha was from Uranus. And that's the whole key. So why would Alpha say that he was from Uranus? Because at that point in time, you got to remember, we did not we did not understand that there was anything outside our our Milky Way until 1929. We did not even realize there was other galaxies. Our worldview of how the world works and what there is in the universe has changed as we go along. And I maintain that as the, our worldview changes, the intelligence changes what it says it is. So once we discovered that there's probably no life on Venus or the moon or Mars, then it suddenly it suddenly changed. Then suddenly the beings, 1961, to Betty and Barney Hill come and they show this map. And she says, where are you from? And well, do you know where you are on the map? And all this kind of stuff. And uh, beings will say that all the time. When people say, where are you from? They'll say, you wouldn't understand. So if they're actually from another planet, why wouldn't you just say you're from another planet? Why would you play this little game of saying, you wouldn't understand? Do you know where you are on the map? 
If you don't know where you are on the map, then you won't know where we are. Or people will absolutely tell you that when they ask the being, the being simply would not describe where they're from. That's a clue. That's a, a direct clue that what they're dealing with is not as obvious. It's not a flat earth. It's something complex. I can give you a, the example that would fit this in. I'm a big fan of Dr. Michael Newton, who did The Life Between Lives, where he would talk to souls between lives. He talked to the one guy who claimed that uh, during the regression that the devil appeared in the room. And, of course, um, Newton believed that this was a, a, a Christian belief thing, that it really wasn't the devil, it would have been something else. So he said to him, the devil's in the room, and the guy was just furious. And he was saying, no, no, he's in the room. And, and so Newton said to him, well... So what's he, what's he look like? He's, and then he would describe exactly what a, uh, a fire and brimstone preacher would say. Oh, he has leathery skin. He has these fiery eyes. He's looking at me. And the guy was sweating. And Newton had a Kleenex. And he was uh, damping the guy's forehead and trying to calm the guy down. And uh, Newton's just going for questions. He said, okay, so what's he wearing? And the guy's all upset. And he said, oh, yeah, I can only see him from the waist up. There again is an anomaly. When you get something like that, when it doesn't make sense, it indicates maybe the world ain't flat. So Newton says, move into the future as quickly as you can and tell me, what is it really? And then the man said, it's my spirit guide. And he's got a mask on. He's playing the devil. Because I was a fire and brimstone bleacher last lifetime. And he's teaching me a lesson. He's showing me what it's like to scare the living daylights out of people by telling them they're going to go to hell. And so this is the whole deal. What is it really? When you're looking at a being, is it what you think it is? There's so many examples of beings that turn into balls of light and leave that would tend to indicate it's not exactly what you think it is. It is not as obvious as it would be to say that it's an ET from another planet. So once we learned that, that, that there's probably not life on Venus and Mars and the moon, we had two different options. So the one was, oh, well, they're in a different dimension. But that came later because we didn't understand the idea of multidimensionality until way after the 1950s when it became popular. But now we'll say, oh, well, they're, they're there on a different dimension. And that may be true. There may be another dimension, another uh, uh, situation on Mars or the moon or whatever. But I can pretty well guarantee you there is not aliens who are living on a planet that's 370 degrees below zero. So then once we realized that it wasn't Venus, then the beings the intelligence started to change the story. So instead of saying we're from, because none of them say now we're from Venus or Mars or the moon, none of them say that. They say, oh, we're from Zeta Reticuli. We're from Pleiades. And Pleiades is, is an obvious giveaway because Pleiades has, I think, 4,000 stars. Well, which of the 4,000 stars in the Pleiades star system are you talking about? So they just say, oh, we're from Pleiades. We're from Zeta Reticuli. And that became the new scenario, starting with Betty and Barney Hill, that they were no longer from our solar system, the, the beings had lied. They had deceived us as to where they're from. And now they're from Zeta Reticuli and Pleiades and, and Andromeda. Nancy Tremaine was um, a woman that I helped her publish her first book. And I wrote the forward to her second book. She had encounters with uh, reptilians. And she asked them. And I would do this instead of asking somebody, are you afraid? Did they probe you? All this sort of stuff. You asked them the question, did you ask, you asked the alien whether he was an alien? Nancy Tremaine asked. And basically, he said, no, we've been here. We've always been here. 
this idea that that it's these ultra terrestrial ideas the same as Jim Semivan said they're ultra terrestrials they're from here they created us and they talk through symbols so the idea has completely changed and it's developed and it's closer it may not be the truth yet but it's getting closer to the truth as to what are we really looking at so Nancy asked them are, are you an alien and they basically said no and the other thing that indicated that that is probably not the alien you think it is is because she dealt with reptilians she dealt with a, a being called by the name of mister but then I went back to her and I said, Nancy, when you first saw the being, and she was abducted about three months before Betty and Barney Hill in Michigan, very clear recollection of this, did a lot of regressions, had police officers that were witnesses to this. She got all these people to testify with this ship sitting outside the, the house, hovering there for quite a while. A lot of testimony that proved that, yeah, she had this experience at 12 years old. I said, Nancy, when you were on the ship at 12 years old, you saw Mr. Did you? Yes. So what did he look like? Oh, he was a human being. He had dark hair. He was sitting at a panel. So he went from a, a human being with dark hair to a reptilian. And this is the whole idea. It's not as simple as people think it is. Another one, even more dramatic example, is Sherry Wilde. Sherry Wilde wrote the book called The Forgotten Promise. This idea of soul contract. That she had come into the world to deliver a message. She had made a promise to the beings. And then they reminded her, have you forgotten the promise that you made? So she would deal with this being by the name of Da, and he would take her. She would be petrified every time. Then they would blank out her mind, and they would um, uh, take her again. And so she was forced to write this book. She um, didn't want to write the book. And to make a long story short, she ended up writing this book and sent it to the publisher. Now, Da, who was the being that she dealt with, said he was from Andromeda. So she sent the book to the publisher, and the publisher came back to Sherry Wilde and said, Sherry, something wrong with your story here. I said, what? He said, he's from Andromeda. Yeah, that's what he told me. He's from Andromeda. I said, well, he can't be from Andromeda. He's a Zeta. You describe him in the book as a Zeta. He's from Zeta. He has to be from Zeta Reticuli. So go back and ask him, what's the problem? You say you're from Andromeda, but you're a Zeta. So she went back to him, and she questioned him. And she said, are you actually an alien? And this is what he said. And this is what I say is if you ask the, the, the people to actually ask, you start hearing beings actually say, no, no, I'm not. Because that's what Da said to sort of quote him. That would not best describe who I actually am. And so who was he? So she, he, he basically gave this indication that he used a Zeta body because it was more practical than trying to build a human body. It was easier to use. And that's why he came as a Zeta. But he's not a Zeta. He's an etheric being. I'm on a mission through the universe for the Creator. On call to the Creator or something to that effect. And that he can appear as whatever he wants and that he had chosen to appear as a Grey. So she said, why do you come as this scary looking thing? And he said, scary? Do I scare you? And she said, yeah, you scare me. Every time you grab me, you, you scare the living daylights out of me. And then you wipe my memory. So the next time you take me again, I'm scared again. And he said, do you ever look in the mirror, Sherry? And she said, what do you mean? He said, you know, you got those big teeth. When you look in the mirror, when you smile at us, we think you're going to eat us. And so this is this conversation where it's a lot less E.T. than it already than, than you think it is. So Da is not an E.T. He said quite clearly, I'm not an E.T. This, this, uh, we, we have some, the Mission Rama people talk about Ganymede. Now, Ganymede, that they, they, they've actually been taken onto the planet of Ganymede, that they go through these zembras and they end up on this planet called Ganymede, which is a moon of, of Jupiter. Well, it's 297 to 171 to 297 degrees below zero. 
And I can tell you at 40 degrees below zero, because I live in the coldest city in the world, I know that when it's like 40 or 42 below, human the flesh ex, exposed flesh will freeze in one minute. So at 297 degrees below zero, you're not going to last very long. So why would they live on Ganymede? Why would they live on this planet? Now the, now the counter will be, well, it's a different sort of dimension. And that may be true, but that doesn't make them ET. That makes them interdimensional. That makes them something more complex than an ET, which is what my point is. It's not as simple as an ET living on a planet that's 297 degrees below zero or that they make a hole in the planet and live inside the planet. Why would you not just come to a planet that's closer to the sun where it's a little more easy to live rather than living in a planet where it's like absolutely you're going to die if you get exposed for two seconds. Another problem that indicates that this may not be as ET as we think it is is my friend Ron Johnson. Now Ron Johnson dealt with a being by, by the name of Elby. And LB would take him various places, and he described numerous times that when he had his experiences, he would go out of his body. And he described three dozen out-of-body experiences, and so it wasn't so much abduction experiences. The first one was very physical, but he said most most of the experiences were this out-of-body experience thing, that he was being moved to a different sort of dimension, a different, almost like would be called this matrix. That's what the, the Free Foundation was, was referring to it with the experiences they were talking to. Like people are in a matrix reality. It's not really a flesh and blood ET, we're on their planet and and it's it's all physical. We keep falling back into the physical world. So Ron Johnson said quite clearly that he was taken to three different realms. And the third realm, the highest realm, was the spirit realm where he met with his dead mother. And the first time she he could just sense that she was there. The second time he actually could see her. And she took him for a, a, a tour of the spirit world and showed these things like a building that was, you know, 10 times the size inside as it was outside, which is exactly what happens with UFO experiences. When people go inside the ship, they say it's like 10 or 100 times the size inside as it is outside. It's exactly the same thing. So the question is, is this an ET experience and a flesh and blood uh, operation with nuts and bolts flying saucers or are they in a spirit world? Once you start looking, it's like the flat earth. It starts to fall apart things start to say, maybe this is not as clear as we think it is. It is not as evident as to say, oh, it's ET, why doesn't the government just admit it's ET? And the question to that, the answer to that, would be that we've heard this over and over again, except for maybe Eric Davis, who said these are off-world, what he said to the briefing that he gave, uh, the vast majority of them, I would say, would say, no, we don't know. Just because you have a crash flying saucer does not mean you know where it's from. You can make all these assumptions. Yes, it looks like it's a flat earth. It looks like the sun's rotating. It looks like we're at the center of the universe. It looks like everything's solid. It may not be what it's appearing to be. So we get into this idea of vibration, of matrix reality. But that came later. That came after we started to learn about multidimensionality, about multiple world theory and stuff like that. Then suddenly the aliens start coming and say, oh, we're from the fifth dimension. We're 11th dimensional beings. And suddenly it changes again. So the beings are changing according to our belief system. We are reflecting. They are reflecting upon what we will understand. It's like uh, uh, Barbara Streisand's stepson is an experiencer. And he told me that the beings had told him, when we come into your world, when we talk to you, we go into your head and we basically see what's in your head and we use what's in your mind to create an experience we have no other choice we have to use what's in your head so if you believe in the flat earth if you're way back they're going to use a very simple analogy to explain what's going on it's the message behind not so much who they're from 
But again, the more we, more complex our worldview gets, the more complex the ex explanation they give of who they are and where they're from. Now we have simulation uh, theory that there may not be any out there, out there, as John Wheeler said. There may not be any time and space or never be any physical universe. It all may be one thing. As Deepak Chopra said, everything may be an, act, an activity inside consciousness. It's all consciousness. And when we get to that, then we start to, the, the whole ET physical worldview really starts to fall apart. That they can appear as whatever they want. Another example. Uh, Mark Sims. Talk to Mark Sims. And he had this very elaborate worldview. He had had this experience with Tejabar, which lasted 13 days. And Tejabar had showed him this model of how the world uh, develops, how it gets created. And it models exactly the Michael Newton explanation that, that is from these 7,000 people that regress between life between lives. It's exactly the same scenario. And the idea is that in the spirit world, they're the ones that are creating the physical worlds. They create physical worlds according to their ability to, to build stuff. And it's made out of energy. And so this is the whole idea. It's the spirit world creating the physical world. And people talking about being between lives, going from world to world just to explore. And these are things. So is this in a physical thing or is it in a spiritual world? Because these spiritual people are moving around and they're creating the physical world. We have it, we have it somewhat backwards. So when uh, Tejabar told this whole story to Mark Sims, I asked Mark Sims. I said, okay, did you ask him if he was an alien? And he said, yeah. And he said, no, it wasn't. And again, so he has the experience. We make this very simple assumption. He's at a CE5 event by Stephen Greer. This thing appears, and I said to him, as I know with, with UFO sightings, I said, so how long was it there? He said, I don't know, a couple seconds, four seconds. Did anybody else see it? Well, there's some people that saw it, but basically I, I saw it. And you would immediately say, oh, Stephen Greer is doing a CE5. He's pulled in ETs from another planet. Here's an ET craft. And so he went back to the hotel room, and he did this CE5 uh, contact modality. And this being appears and is with him for 13 year, days and gives him all this sort of stuff and basically says, no, I'm not an ET. I'm from here. I'm here from four and a half thousand years ago. But even that doesn't make sense because he was translucent. He didn't, he looked like a gray. He looked like a gray that was sort of bluish with sparkles. Didn't look like a human being from 4,000 years ago. Didn't have really a mouth or a nose or his eyes were missing. Didn't have any ears. Looked like, didn't have any hair like a gray. And then you start to wonder, is this another story that's just made up? That, that in order to uh, tell the story, you just say that you're from here. And, and the whole point is uh, that when you come right down to it, the, the game is that we actually make the assumption, the false assumption through ego, that we are an actor. We are the actor on the stage. We are not the actor on the stage. We have to remember who we actually are. We are simply an etheric being playing an actor on a stage. And that's a big difference. So we play human beings. We're not human beings. We're just playing human beings for 70 years or whatever it is. They're playing aliens. So we're all playing a role. We are all the same thing. We are all etheric beings. And they're coming in and whatever you need to appear, whatever they need to appear as is what they will. The final example and the best example of this is Yossi Ronan, who's an experiencer out of Israel who had an experience with green beings that looked like greys, but they were green, in his room in Los Angeles in the early 1980s. And he basically asked them again, and they basically said no. They said, when we come into your world, we can appear as whatever we want. We take on a body shape. 
we don't need to do that. We just come in to take on this shape. You can do the same thing. You just don't realize it yet. So they come in and they can appear as whatever they want. And he's the one that described them. And they, as they leave, that they grab hands and they make a circle and they start making a circle and they round and round and round and around and they disappear into a ball of light. So the question is, is it an ET from another planet or is it a ball of light? It would appear they are living in some sort of matrix reality, some sort of uh, vibrating higher and that when they come into the physical world, they play the physical world game. They, they pretend they're in the physical world. They take on bodies and they're here and while they're here, they're physical. And when you have crashes, as I believe that uh, uh, more people are coming to the conclusion that these crashes are actually gifting things that they gift. So if you if they leave bodies and crafts behind, they're in the physical world, yes. But they didn't come from the physical world. They created them the same as you can create in a port or a manifestation. A spirit in, in a physical seance can make something physical appear and drop into the room. They can do the same thing. They can make this stuff appear. But because you have a craft and because you have a body does not mean it's extraterrestrial. It means that somebody came in here and well, well at this realm uh, cra uh, crashed or died or whatever. But it does not prove that it's E.T. It just proves that it's not from here, which is the more concrete. It's not physical. It's not the Russians. It's not the Americans. It's not the Chinese. So the government, people say they're playing the game that they don't know. They may not actually know. I've heard numerous times. I even asked Jacques Vallée this story. I asked in my last interview, I asked Jacques Vallée, is the story about the core story right? You were in the Denny's restaurant. He said, yeah, the story's right. And the core story was that he and Hal put off and Kit Green, three of the top people who would know what's going on, were in a Denny's restaurant and they realized that there was a lot of stuff that was out there, that people really were putting a lot of stuff out and we don't know what's true, what's not true. And they came up with what's called the core story. What do we know to be actually true? And what they concluded was not the RTs, but that we are being interacted by some sort of intelligence. There is some sort of inter intelligence interacting with the world. There is hardware. There are crashes. And we aren't back engineering it. We, we are not having very much success. But no claim of an ET. Just that there's some sort of interaction. There's physical material. And that um, we, we, are, we are interacting with something. So again, we go back to this idea that we are um, human beings stuck in a physical consciousness, and we fall into the trap of believing the world is flat, that we are physical, that we are human beings, that we own the airspace, we make all these false assumptions. Most of the stuff we believe is wrong. That's what Dr. Eric Walker told us when we were pushing him in the 1990s. Tell us what's going on. Tell us what you were involved in this. And he said, you just want to know for curiosity, why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? This thing is way beyond anything of Einstein. You're never going to figure this thing out. Leave it alone. And so this is the this is the deal that that because somebody's a high level guy doesn't mean they know what it is. They know it's real, no doubt about that. And that's the story that everybody keeps putting out. And I think it actually may be the true story that they are not 100% sure of where this phenomenon is from. They have the hardware, they have the bodies, they have the the films, and again. We have to remember who we are. We are not physical beings. We are etheric people playing physical beings. We can come in. They can do the same thing. And the last example I'll give you, I was talking to um, beings that were wanted to interview me, interview them uh, out of London. And um, 
they were channeling through this woman and they wanted me to do a book on them. They call themselves the beings. They have no faces, no um, hands. Yeah, they have hands and feet, but they have no little tiny things. And they have no, nothing really physical about them except they're these little black beings. And they say it's all an illusion. You have to realize it's all an illusion. You have to most importantly realize we've always been here. You're the visitor. And that's the point. The world is here. We came in to play a role. We came in to play an actor on a stage. We are the actor. We're only here for 70 years. The play has been going on. We are not physical beings. We are playing physical beings. We have to get over that. And then once you understand that, then you understand that this situation that we're dealing with may not be as ET as people think it is. It may be much more complex. I've always said, whatever this phenomena is, it's going to be a lot less physical than people think it is. It's going to be a lot more spiritual than people think it is. And it's going to be a thousand times more complex than people think it is. And it is going to involve the message of oneness. It is going to be a hive mentality. It is going to be a message that we are all cells in the body of a human being and that we all have to, our roles to play and that we are all one with the universe and whatever we do, good or bad, affects the people around us. It affects Gaia. It affects the universe. We are all one thing and it is not as physical as we think it is. The more we develop, the more we understand how the world works, we realize it is less physical. It is way more complex. That's the message they're giving us. So that's my little spiel on ET. I used to believe it. As I said, the more I look at it, the less I think that this is going to end up being ET. Thank you. That's this week's episode of the Paranormal UFO Consciousness Podcast. I'm your host, Grant Cameron, hoping that you will join me for upcoming episodes. Links to my YouTube interviews, books, and my Facebook sites are in the show notes. If you love the podcast or learn something valuable, We'd love for you to subscribe, rate, or give a review on today's episode. If you would like a certain paranormal subject dealt with in the future, please let us know. Until next time, watch this space, and thank you so much for listening.